It is good to be in Christmas time, isn't it? I mean, it's just good to look around and see the trees and the lights and the, the psychos with their pepper spray at Walmart. It's just, just awesome, awesome, awesome. We are uh, we are doing our <laughs> we're doing our first splash offering at the end of this service, and I know Kip mentioned it before. The ushers up up above are going to pass the offering envelopes across in case you would like one. Everything that goes in is all going to Cannonball from now on, so it doesn't really matter. But you on the floor, if you've got uh, you've got a uh, envelope in front of you in the chair back, what we're hoping happens today is that uh, we're able to make a big splash. I'm going to announce the total at the end, very last thing of the service, and we're going to celebrate that together. What we're hoping is that a big chunk of it comes in this weekend. That's what we really, we want to get things started in December. We want to get things going right away. We've got people over in Africa right now. We want those gates to come down immediately. We want, we want to get going on the projects that we've got going. Um, so we're hoping that you are going to do, especially if you, if you're given from stored resources, if, if you know what you're going to be able to do and and there's a place where you could do that up front, that's really going to help. We're giving an extra offering today. If you can give an extra offering, I hope that you can do that. Throw it in the envelope or don't. It doesn't matter because it's all in at this point, and, uh, and I'll announce the whole total at the end. I am excited about Christmas because, um, you know, I mean, we need it this time of year, don't we? When the thermometers start to fall and, uh, you know, the, the days are like four hours long, aren't they, or something like that. I mean, what would we do? We'd have to make up a holiday if we didn't have one now because it'd be so depressing. We need the gifts. We need the carols. We need the trees. We need the you'll shoot your eye out. We need the every time a bell rings. We need, and if it wouldn't be too much why don't you get yourself something clark something real nice we need that there would be no reason to decorate this is my favorite of all time this lady in michigan decorated her house this way with a dummy hanging from the roof looking like clark griswold there were so many 911 calls that the cops actually came and made her take it down they were tired of dealing with it Obviously, we need Christmas. We need this time of year, but it is more than a reason to celebrate. It is the birthday of the Son of God. I mean, it's so important to history that we changed our calendars on this time. Do you realize that? I mean, think about this. B.C. to A.D. happens at Christmas. This is what it's all about. It's really important. And when we read this scripture, we just can't help but be warm and fuzzy, can we? We can't help but just be all Charlie Brown over this. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn a son, and she wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for him in the end. Doesn't that just make you feel all warm and fuzzy? But the problem is, it wasn't warm and fuzzy. Jesus did a cannonball. I mean, if I could go back to our, uh, you know, our theme of what we're doing around here for the next two years, Jesus did the biggest cannonball of all time. He went from the highest place of heaven and he dropped down to the lowest place on earth to being born as a baby, seemingly out of wedlock, to a poor Jewish couple in an impressed land, laid in a feed trough in a barn. I mean, it doesn't get any lower than that. And it is an amazing story. But we know that story a lot. That's the problem for me at Christmas. This is my 21st Christmas series, okay, at this church. I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of tired of it. Can I just be honest? I mean, I don't know what, what's a new angle. You know, I'm thinking next year maybe it's the animals look at Christmas and we got, we got the donkeys and the sheep and the camels. I can't find a fourth one, so I'm not there yet. If you help me with that, maybe that'll be next year. What are we going to do? And, and so what I decided to do this year, because the story is familiar, I mean, we're definitely going to talk about the story, but I want to talk about the backstory 
Okay? How many of you ever had a creative elements writing, creative writing class in your life? Okay, a creative writing class. Okay? If you remember in this class, your teacher did not do a very good job if they didn't tell you the basic elements of a good story. The basic elements of a good story are conflict, a protagonist, a hero, and an antagonist, a villain. That's the, you've got to have that in every story. Even in romantic comedies, you have to have that, right? I'm an expert in romantic comedies. Nobody has seen more romantic comedies than a guy with three daughters and no sons, okay? I had to watch a, a Christmas movie last week that was Ben Affleck renting a Christmas family because he didn't have one. And then he falls in love with his rented sister. I felt like I was back in Oklahoma, man. I mean, it was crazy. Even, even in romantic comedies, though, there has to be some kind of a conflict, doesn't there? Boy meets girl, boy loses girl, girl's about to marry the wrong boy, boy gets and girl, get, goes and gets the girl back. I mean, I could write this stuff, it's not very difficult, but there has to be conflict or we don't want to watch it. And in every story, there is a protagonist and an antagonist. There is a hero and there is a villain. Superman had... Not Lois Lane. Lois Lane was his conflict. Lex Luthor. That's right. I heard it over there. Uh, Ferris Bueller had Principal Rooney. Harry Potter had he who must not be named. George Bailey had Mr. Potter. Bob Cratchit had Scrooge. Cindy Lou Who had the Grinch. Luke Skywalker had his dad, which turned out to be really awkward, you know. I, I mean... Every story, there's got to be a good guy and there's got to be a bad guy and there's got to be conflict. So my question for you is, why does that make a good story? Have you ever thought about that? I mean, why is it that we, I mean, we, we, we're going to pay 10 bucks to Marcus. We do not want to go see a movie that does not resolve itself. We do not want to go see a movie that's like Seinfeld. That's the show about nothing. We want to see a movie that's about something that has conflict, that has a, a, a hero and a villain. Why? Why do we want that? I'll tell you why. It's because that is reality. The reality of the world is that we have conflict and we want it to be resolved. The reality of the world is that there is a protagonist, a hero, Jesus, God. There is good. And there is an antagonist, evil, the devil, whatever you want to, however you want to call it. Those things go on. That's why that makes a good story. It's not, it's because that's the reality of life. So the untold story of Christmas is that there is actually an untold creative writing story going on in the background. That's the reality of it. There is a conflict. There is a protagonist. There is an antagonist. If I could go even further, I believe that Christmas is really why we don't think about this very often. It's really a war story. That's what I want to talk about today. It's a war story. Imagine, I love what Kim read, imagine if you go back to Christmas night and you were able to see the unseen. Imagine what was going on. Do you ever wonder why a heavenly host had to appear to the, to the shepherds to tell them that Jesus was born? I mean, why did they need a, a host to scare the snot out of those guys? And, and, I mean, they're, uh, you know, all of a sudden they're all there. All, all you need is one angel. If it's me, God, I only need one angel to show up. You know, I don't need the whole... Why was the whole host there? Do you wonder that? I mean, we don't know in the Scripture. But I believe that the whole host was there because there was this gigantic picture that we can't see that was going on on the outside of the Christmas story. And while we have our little nativity scenes, there was war going on outside of it. That's why they were there. I think the view from heaven was vastly different than the view that we have of Christmas. 
I remember when the Passion of the Christ movie came out, Mel Gibson's movie, and, you know, people were talking about it, and everybody had their own opinions, and a lot of religious leaders had weird opinions about it. And I watched this program where they, uh, they interviewed some religious leaders and what they thought about the Passion of the Christ. And I remember this one guy, you know, he's a, some kind of a, a pastor or a priest guy or something, but, but he was furious that Mel Gibson had turned the crucifixion into this huge universal clash between good and evil. He said, I couldn't believe that they turned the death of a good moral teacher like Jesus into an event that had some kind of cosmic scope with larger forces at work. I remember thinking to myself, really? Did you go to Sesame Street Seminary, dude? I mean, that is what it's about, doofus. What are you talking about? I talk to my TV a lot. I don't know if you do. There is a war that's going on between good and evil on this planet. God's purposes for humanity and there is for good, and the evil forces came along and thwarted that. There's always going to be that in our life. I, I watched Water for Elephants last night. This should tell you about my life. Which was actually pretty good. And my wife said, hey, my wife has to leave the room when the mean people are on. She says, I don't like mean people. I understand that. But there are mean people. Okay? That's the reality of life. That's why those make for good movies. How else, if there is not an antagonist, how else, if there is not evil in our world, do you explain war or poverty or greed or racism or murder or abuse or any of the other evils in our world? How else do you explain that if there is not really good and evil. People, don't ever let anyone tell you that Jesus was a good moral teacher. In 1 John, the Apostle John wrote, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. It wasn't to teach us good things. He did that. It wasn't to heal people. He did that. The reason that He came, what Christmas is all about, is to destroy the devil's work. This was not some warm, fuzzy holiday. This was an invasion. The great untold story of Christmas is a war story. I mean, think about it. You see the casualties stack up immediately, don't you? King Herod, who worked for the antagonist, didn't like the fact that the wise men came along and said, hey, there might be a ruler born somewhere else. So he killed all of the baby boys two years and younger in Bethlehem and the vicinity. Why, why would he do that? Because, because the wise men told him in Matthew chapter 2, they said, in Bethlehem and Judea is what the prophet has written, Bethlehem, the land of Judah, by no means are you least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come, here was the trigger word for him, out of you, out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Jesus came to rule. He came to invade the planet. That's why the casualties started to act up. As a matter of fact, um, at his crucifixion, just before he went to die, Jesus said, as I go do this, now the prince of this world will be driven out. All of this cosmic stuff is going on at Christmas. While we're looking at our little nativity scene and singing Silent Night, all of this stuff is going on. That is the framework for Christmas. Now, we don't, you know, we don't like it. I mean, we, a lot of people don't want to talk about the devil. They don't want to talk about Satan. They think that Satan is the personification of evil, like Uncle, Uncle Sam is the personification of patriotism. But there isn't really a, a real you know, devil, a prince of this world. I mean, come on. We make jokes about it. Do you know what happens if you don't pay your exorcist? You get repossessed. 
Come on, it was funnier than that. Many Christians regard, we just, we just don't want to talk about the devil, but the truth of the matter is, the Bible teaches that there is a literal being called the devil. He is called by a lot of other names, Satan, the prince of darkness, the evil one, the father of lies, the crafty serpent, the roaring lion, the great dragon, or my personal favorite, Beelzebub. Right, Beelzebub, yeah. Oh, I know. That's cold, isn't it? Because now the whole rest of the day, your brain is waiting for the guitar solo. I love that. It's funny, man. Oh, By putting several verses of Scripture together, what we learn is that Lucifer was an archangel up in heaven. That's where he got his start. And for some reason, he decided to try to dethrone God. That's never a good idea, by the way, in case you're considering it. He tried to rebel against God. And it says in Revelations 12, verse 7, there was a war in heaven and Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. That was Satan. And the dragon and the angels fought back, but he was not strong enough. And they, lo- and, they, and they lost their place in heaven. And the great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to earth. And the angels with him, who we, we call demons today, they followed uh, along with him and God cast them out of heaven. And because Adam and Eve opened up sin to this world, opened up the reign of Satan to this world, now we have an issue. We live with an antagonist, and we need a protagonist, which is why Jesus had to, count, had to come. Peter said, be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Uh, I mean, here, here's the Apostle John. I'm pretty sure I'm going to ruin Christmas for you right now, but I want, I want you to hear the Apostle John's version of the Christmas story out of Revelations 12. You probably haven't heard very many sermons on this. I'm taking a little different angle this time. You'll, you'll want me to go back to, you know, Mary and Joseph very soon. But listen to this. Revelation 12. Then I witnessed in heaven. This is John's vision, okay? And it's figurative language, but listen to the significance of this. I witnessed in heaven an event of great significance. I saw a woman and she was pregnant. She cried out in the pain of labor as she awaited her delivery. And suddenly I witnessed in heaven another significant event. I saw a large red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, with seven crowns on his heads. And he stood before the woman as she was about to give birth to her child, ready to devour the baby as soon as it was born. She gave birth to a boy who was to rule the nations with an iron rod. And the child was snatched away from the dragon and was caught up to God in his throne. And I heard a loud voice shouting across the heavens, It has happened at last, the salvation and power and kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser has been thrown down to earth, the one who accused our brothers and sisters before God day and night. The terror will come on the earth and the sea. For the devil has come down to you in great anger, and he knows that he has little time. And the dragon became angry at the woman, and he declared war against the rest of her children. Who are the children? All who keep God's commands and confess that they belong to Christ. Woohoo! Who wants eggnog? Yeah! It's the most wonderful time of the year. The dragon is angry and he's trying to eat the baby, so be of good cheer. Why don't we have that song? I, 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 nobody wants to talk about this. 
You have probably never heard that version before, and you're probably never going to want to hear it ever again. But the truth of the matter is, that is the backstory to Christmas. Jesus came to do battle with Satan. He came to win the war with Satan. And as, when we sign up for him, we're signing up for the battle. If I had my way about it, I'd have you all go get a little plastic red dragon and put it in the nativity scene just so that you could remember what's really going on, you know? And the problem is that the dragon is angry and he's declaring war against her children. All those, all of us who call on the name of the Lord, the, the dragon is angry at us. He doesn't want us. One of the first things we try to tell people when they come to Christ, and I, and I want to say this right now, one of the first things that you need to know as you become a Christian is that you just signed up with the protagonist, my friend. You just signed up with the good guy, the, the, the good side of the, of the force. That's what you just did. So that means the bad side is not going to like you. They're not going to, he's not going to like what you're doing, and you've just entered a war zone. And now temptation is going to come, and distraction, and apathy, and materialism, and unforgiveness, and all of those things that Satan is so really, really good at. That's when he's going to start in. And if you don't sign up, he doesn't care about you. But once you sign up, he comes at you, and he comes at you hard. I quoted this on temptation last year from John Eldridge, but I love it. To live in ignorance of spiritual warfare is the most naive and dangerous thing a person can do. It's like skipping through town when the worst part of town late at night, waving your wallet above your head. It's like, it's like walking into an Al-Qaeda training camp wearing an I Love the USA shirt. He said it's like swimming with the great white sharks dressed as a wounded sea lion smeared with blood. Let me tell you something. You don't escape spiritual warfare simply because you choose not to believe it exists or because you refuse to fight it. Jesus said Satan is a thief that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. So why don't we think he's going to steal, kill, and destroy? It's important that you understand that. As a matter of fact, Paul said in the book of Ephesians that we needed to pay attention to this because the truth of the matter is, he said, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Think about this and the things that are going on in your life. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and the authorities and the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. When you're struggling with a marriage issue, isn't it better to know that you're not really fighting your spouse? There is another enemy that you could draw on the strength of Jesus and you can pray against the attacks of Satan and actually learn to love that person in your house because that's not the person that you can't stand. It's a spiritual issue. And it's not going to be over until this body is done. I wish I could tell you this. We have the ability to fight against it and we have victory because greater is He who is in me than he who is in the world. But it's never going to be done until this body is over. Plato said, only the dead have seen the end of war. And he meant that in a physical way. But I know that that's true spiritually as well. Now, some of you are new to Parkview and you're going, wow, that pastor's really well read. He just quoted Plato. Anybody want to know where I got that quote? Call of Duty. Yeah. <laughs> the video game. When you die, they put these pithy sayings up on the screen to make you feel better, and that's one of them. So just, just want you to know I live where you live. If you're looking for a pastor who really reads Plato, you're in the wrong place. But if you're looking for one, you know, who finds application in the most normal places, welcome to Parkview. The best way I can describe this whole thing is 
um, if I can take you back to Saving Private Ryan, or for those of you that actually remember history, let's go back to D-Day. Let's go back to thinking about what it was like when the Allied forces decided to finally invade Normandy. And what was going on at that time, if you remember it in human history, is that Hitler ruled Europe. He had all of Europe all sewed up, and it, and it looked like he was going to be able to take care of Europe for a really, really long time. So the only thing that we could do is invade in Normandy. And if you remember the beginning of Saving Private Ryan is so brutal because so many people lost their lives when so many allied forces hit those boats and hit those shores. And uh, I had a lady here last night whose husband was there. Uh, he's passed away since, but she, you know, she, she said he didn't talk about it very much. And I could imagine the sacrifice that happened on D-Day. But here's the deal. Once D-Day happened and we invaded Normandy and we established a beachhead, that's what they call it. When you go in and you establish a place on, a, on another continent in another land, they, once we established a beachhead, most of the world knew that we would probably now win the war. And we started to win the war on that day. It took another year before it was victory over Europe Day, VE Day. It was another year before that happened. But, but we, we basically won the war when D-Day happened. Okay? What, what I want you to understand is that Christmas, for us, in a spiritual war standpoint, Christmas was D-Day. Now, now, here's the here's the problem. Do you know when the greatest amount of casualties happened in World War II? Greatest amount of casualties happened between D-Day and VE Day, Victory Over Europe Day. That was the greatest amount of casualties because they fought against us the hardest once they knew that they were being defeated. And that's what's going on spiritually in your life as well. Okay, we had a Parkview soldier this week uh, come back from Afghanistan in our preschool department. Um, he had a kid in the preschool, Captain John Underberg. He has a, a kid in our preschool. And, uh, and so we had a little reception for him and threw him a little thank you party. And they asked me to pray. And I got to tell you, it was amazing how emotional it was for me to pray for this soldier when I realized the reality of the war that he had going on and realized that he was doing it for me. When I realized, and the whole room, I mean, it, it was really a special moment. Even these little kids who don't understand waving their flags, all of that was going on as we recognized the reality of war. And that, my friends, is what I want you to help, help you understand about Christmas. That is the reality of what's going on. There is a war. We live between D-Day and B-E-Day. There's a war going on. So right up to now, you're probably going, wow, this is the most depressing Christmas sermon I've ever heard in my life. I should have stayed home and watched Osteen. I mean, I, I get that, okay? You can, you can go home and do that later if you want to. You need this, okay? It's not depressing because the untold war story is that because the baby was born on Christmas Day, we win. That's the story of Christmas, okay? When, when they took Jesus to the temple to dedicate him, this doesn't always get thrown into the Christmas story, but it's right at the end of it. Jesus is an eight day old baby and they take him to the temple in Jerusalem and Simeon prays over this baby and he prophesies over this baby and he says, this baby is destined to cause the rising and falling of many. What is he saying? He's saying this baby is going to separate the heroes and the villains, the protagonists and the antagonists and rising. The word rising that he uses there is the same exact word that Paul used in 1 Corinthians 15 to talk about those of us who are going to rise from the dead. When they prophesied about Jesus, Simeon said, this baby is going to cause 
us to raise from the dead. We just sang it. Born that man no more may die. That's the story of Christmas. We sing joy to the world for a very good reason. It's just probably a little bit deeper than you'd ever imagined before. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth to a town in Galilee to a virgin to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you will give him the name Jesus, and he will be great and be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. That is the promise of Christmas. Our guy wins. Victory over Beelzebub day is guaranteed. It's going to happen. That's why Scripture tells us, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Why will he flee from you? Because you're bad? Because you're tough? Because you got it all figured out? No, he's not going to do that. It's because the power of the one who is inside of you. John said, you dear children are from God and you have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. That's why the devil will flee from you if you resist him. And Jesus left and went back to heaven and left us with the Holy Spirit. The word Holy Spirit in the Greek is paraclete. Paraclete. That's the word for the Holy Spirit um, in, the, in the Greek. Interestingly, it is the same word that was used in Greek warfare because in Greek warfare, the Greeks would go out two by two. They always went two by two. They always had a swim buddy when they went out to battle, which makes sense because you've got somebody that you've always got your back and you're always going out as partners. And do you know what that partner was called? Paraclete. Same word. When Jesus said the Holy Spirit is going to be here with you, what he was saying was that you are going to have a supernatural being on your backside protecting you and watching over you. And that is the story of Christmas. Our battle partner is the paraclete. Now listen to this Revelation Revelation Scripture one more time. But I saw heaven... This is what's going to happen on victory over Satan day. I saw heaven standing open and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. And with justice he judges and makes war and his eyes are a blazing fire and on his head are many crowns and he is dressed in robe, a robe dipped in blood and his name is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven are following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations and he will rule and his name is written... King of kings and Lord of lords. Christmas is not just about salvation. It's about victory. It's about victory over the enemy. And that doesn't just happen on victory over Satan day. That happened already. I don't know what movies are going to be like in heaven. Just Seinfeld episodes all over again because there won't be a protagonist. There won't be an antagonist. There won't be conflict anymore. I don't know what we're going to do, but that's when everything gets resolved. Now, here's the question. How did Jesus establish his beachhead? Okay. I know all this war talk it makes some of you uncomfortable because you're like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm not really into that. I'm kind of a pacifist. I'm not really into that. I don't, I don't. Listen to me. How did Jesus invade the world? It was an invasion of love. Listen to Napoleon Bonaparte, one of the great 
leaders of all time, one of the greatest conquerors of all time, Napoleon Bonaparte said, Alexander the Great, Caesar, Charlemagne, and myself have founded great empires. But upon what did these creations depend? Force. Jesus alone founded his empire with love, and to this very day millions would die for him. Even Napoleon got the contrast of the invasion that Jesus did. What Jesus did was a daring nighttime raid of love. The only blood he was willing to spill was his own. The only life he was willing to take was the one that he was going to give. Because Jesus knew that the territory that needed to be reclaimed was not physical geography. It was not Jerusalem. It was not the Middle East. It was right here. This was the physical geography that needed to be reclaimed. It was in my heart and in your heart. That's why he came with an invasion of love. The enemy was not entrenched behind bunkers or barbed wire. The enemy was entrenched deep in the hearts of human beings. So Jesus came to absorb the evil and give good in order to overcome it. C.S. Lewis said, All worldviews are very similar, except for how Christ responds to evil. Though the world waged war against God, Christ came to the world to settle the war by absorbing evil on the cross, offering reconciliation and destroying death. Jesus even said, If you're hit on this cheek, offer the other cheek, right? I think we misunderstand that a lot. Jesus wasn't saying, If somebody whacks you, let them whack you again. Jesus was saying, you have to remember, in their culture, the way that they greeted each other was not a handshake or a fist bump or a high five. They greeted each other with a kiss on the cheek. What Jesus was saying in Matthew, He was saying, if somebody strikes you on one cheek, turn around and hug them. That's the invasion of love. That's the crazy thing that Jesus came to do. It's not natural. We don't like it. I mean, we're, we're more in relation to this cartoon about Rudolph all of the other reindeer used to laugh and call him names. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we, we, we can relate to Rambo the Red-Nosed Reindeer, right? That, that makes sense to us. But, but this whole love thing, turning the other cheek, these acts of kindness, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to us. So on the way out, what you've probably seen, or maybe you got them on the way in, we have army men for you. Um, if you want to, you could actually like take his gun and bite it off because uh, he's not going to be an army man anymore. But I want him to be in your pocket, okay? I, I, because it kind of hurts a little bit and it'll irritate you and you'll think about it. <laughs> now he looks like he's dancing. <laughs> That's funny. Um, what I want you to do is I want you to put this in your pocket and remember that we are on an invasion of love. And then what we've given you, what we will give you on the way out, take as many as you want, are these little red cards. And what I want you to do, you keep this, don't give this away, keep this in your pocket to remind you to do random acts of love this week and invade the world with love and kindness. Jesus said, the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. That's what Jesus wants us to do. So what I want you to do is I want you to give an extra big tip to a wait, a waiter or a waitress. I want you to, to do something nice for a family member, do something nice for a neighbor, help somebody out, do something extra extravagant for somebody, and then give them this card. And just say, hey, Merry Christmas. It doesn't have Parkview on it at all because we don't care about that one. It's not about Parkview. It's about Christianity. It's about the invasion of love. This is my invasion of love to make the world a better place. I hope it makes your day. And I want to see how far these go. I, I want these to go. I, I want these to be making ways just like our cannonball is. That's what, that's what your job is this week as we head into Christmas.
Chuck Colson compares D-Day to Christmas Day like this. He says, in one sense, the great invasions of history are analogous to the way in which God, the great cosmic, and in the great cosmic struggle between good and evil, chose to deal with Satan's rule on the earth. He invaded. But not with a massive logistical support and huge armies. Rather, he invaded in a way that confounded and perplexed the wisdom of humanity. It was a quiet invasion through a virgin birth. Few people knew what was happening. Few people could possibly understand it. God, who could speak into the universe, would create human life, and He chose by the power of the Holy Spirit to come through a virgin to the lowest of people. Most of the people in Palestine at the time of Jesus' birth, Colson says, were expecting an invasion. They were expecting a messianic invasion like what we did see at D-Day. Conquerors in armor bringing a sword to set the people free from oppression. But Jesus came to a poor couple in a barn as a baby. No wonder they missed it. They were looking for the storming of Normandy and a military overthrow of the government. But Jesus came as the one thing we can't help but love, a baby. And He grew up to be the general of love. And the, re- and the religious establishment of Jesus' day didn't get His strategy. They saw Him as a threat to their hold on the people that, with this incessant good news of His that sins could be forgiven by Him and His silly love tactics. So the religious establishment formed an alliance with the most ancient enemy of all, death. And they took Jesus out. But killing this soldier, taking out this particular officer, just paved the way for His finest hour. The hour in which the baby who'd been born at Beachhead Bethlehem rose from the dead, conquering the world. Everything was different before D-Day, but it changed when Jesus did His cannonball and came and was born to be the Savior for all, to be the victorious Savior for all. As we take communion right now, we're going to give you the opportunity to eat this bread and drink this cup. We do this every week here. It's a great reminder for us of what Jesus did for us on the cross. And I, it just takes, for me, maybe, maybe you too, it takes a special significance to me when Christmas and Easter are kind of all wrapped up at the same time. When Christmas and Good Friday and, and all of it all kind of puts together in one big package. At Christmas time, I can think about the, the D-Day invasion and then I can think about what Jesus did on the cross when He took all of my sins and buried them in the deepest sea. And I can think about the fact that Simeon prophesied the rising of many, and that's me, and it's you, and it can be you if you have Jesus. It all works together at Christmas in such a beautiful way. Let's pray. Lord God, if there are people in this room who um, need to open up their heart to You right now, I can't imagine going through Christmas without a real relationship with You. I can't imagine what it would feel like just to go through the facade of the lights and the trees and the nativity scene and the, and the presents and the, 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 the token nuances of Christmas that we celebrate without the depth of the meaning of what really happened and the depth of the meaning of the fact that you not only came as a little baby, but you came as a little baby for me. So I pray that if there are people in this room right now, they will just open up to you and say, Jesus, I need you to be my general of love. I need you to take lordship in my life. I give you my life. I'm going to follow you. I'm signing up. I want to be on your side. Lord, you promised all of us that all we had to do was just open up to you and let that happen. And you would take us. 
You would give us the paraclete. You would give us the Holy Spirit to battle it out here on earth. And we could resist the devil and he would flee from us because greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. You promised us that. And then you promised someday that the creative writing classes will be irrelevant because there won't be an antagonist and there won't be a conflict. I can't even imagine. Lord, be with us as we commune right now. Thank you for the backstory of Christmas. In Jesus' name we pray.